Hasn't it been a tough week? The events of Christchurch have rocked our nation, haven't they? And can I ask you to continue to pray for those that, uh, the families that have been infected and for contemporaries. It's been a, been a tough, tough time. Well, I've had my first time at North today, so it was good to be out there and um, we're continuing the focus on whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. Isn't that a good thing to focus on? It really, really is. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say, whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. I think you can do a bit better than that. Whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. As always, as Sean said last we don't want to go whenever, wherever, whatever, but whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. And I've really enjoyed focusing on the book of Luke uh, as we continue to look at um, being like Jesus. And I love the humanity of Christ that's represented in the book of Luke. Uh, in Ezekiel and in Revelations 4-7, um, there is this picture of the cherubim around the throne of God and expressing four faces, the face of an ox, a lion, a human face, and an eagle. And biblical scholars believe that each of those faces represent the ministry of Jesus through the Gospels. And so the lion representing uh, Matthew, the ox uh, being Mark, the eagle being John, and of course the human face, the humanity of Jesus being represented in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, as I mentioned several weeks ago, I just want to remind you of this. Uh, Luke is the only gospel that has the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And Matthew goes back to Abraham. It's the only gospel that doesn't mention uh, the wise men. It's the shepherds that announce the birth of Jesus. And the key thought in the book of Luke is um, Luke 19 verse 10, where it says, For this purpose Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save every person, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their age, or whatever it might be. Jesus was there for every person to save them. Isn't that good news this morning? Jesus is for every person to save them and to see them come into the fullness of who he is. So today we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus uh, through the eyes or through the Gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Luke 4, verses 1, starting at verses 1 to 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scripture says, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The Scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, 
For the scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect and guard you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportune time. Wow. Some interesting scripture, isn't it? So the title for my message this morning is Standing Firm. Standing Firm. Whenever, wherever be like Jesus, one of the things that Jesus is exemplifying in this account is that Jesus is turning, standing uh, rock solid firm on his convictions. There is no movement. There is no wavering. He is rock solid unlike I was on Thursday evening when a friend came to my place and said, can I have a cup of tea? I said, sure. So we sat down to the table to have a cup of tea, and I thought, what am I going to feed him? And I opened the fridge, and there was this big block of custard square. And I thought, that was pretty good. And I thought, I guess Wendy's bought that, hoping that nobody would take it. And of course, I thought it was just too good to leave there. So my friend and I were having a cup of tea and we took one slice of the custard square block and that was really nice. And then I took another one. Well, he took another one. (laughs) And he took another one. Okay, I kept them company. But there we were munching through these custard squares and I thought, quick, we better put it in the fridge and hide it in case somebody finds out. Um, I never got into trouble for that, thankfully. But we all know what it is to be confronted with, with temptation. And, um, you know, we face it all the time, to lie, to steal, to gossip. Th- those are pretty obvious ones, but there's much more insidious ones like, I'm entitled to this, I deserve this, I should get that because it's my right. Or the freedom, or so-called freedom, um, around this whole thing of entitlement is very subtle but very real in our culture. I was thinking the first time that I can remember ever being tempted, I was about six years old that I can remember. I was a bunch of friends and um, please forgive me for this but it's, I've got to tell you it because it's true, we decided to do a hit on a shop, a hoist. There wasn't gold but there was lollies and uh, we went into this place. And um, there were these lollies. And I don't know why the shopkeeper put them there. He shouldn't have done that. He was giving us the invitation, take these things. And um, so there they were, these lollies. And uh, three or four of us went there. And, of course, we helped ourselves. And <clears throat> felt terribly guilty um, about it. And uh, the next Sunday, we, were, we went to church for Sunday school. Um, as it was called back then. And the Sunday school teacher, I'll never forget this, said we're going to do a field trip today. And the church was directly opposite the Palmerston North Police Station. And she said, we're going to go to the police station for our field trip. (laughs) I thought, you're joking. He knows I've stolen these lollies. (laughs) And so it was absolute fear and trepidation going into the police station with this big burly uh, police officer and I was so afraid, in my fear, I almost said to him, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take them. I'll give them back. Well, no, I won't do that. But 
But isn't it amazing? You know, the temptation is something that we're familiar with, and it's that that sense of being lured and being um, yeah tricked into something. Um, but it's really interesting, and the Greek word for temptation has that flavour, but equally it has, as William Barclay, a theologian, writes, it equally has the flavour to test, to determine how strong something, to determine how firm something is. And so I like this, this whole sense of standing firm, and to whenever, wherever be like Jesus, what we can learn from this scripture is Jesus' ability to stay rock solid in who he is. And so how did Jesus come to a place of being so secure and so strong to face this temptation? Not for a moment do I think Jesus was scared about this temptation. Not for a moment do I think he was in fear and trepidation at all. I think he was bold and strong and confident, knowing that the Holy Spirit who had led him there would enable him and empower him to give the victory there. And that's whenever, wherever, to be like Jesus, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power, love, and sound mind so we can stand rock solid wherever God has placed us. Isn't that good news this morning? Wherever you are, you can stand firm knowing that God is with you and He is for you. And so this scripture starts off... um, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. This wilderness is very close to the Dead Sea. It's covered with rocks. Uh, there's not a blade of grass anywhere. It's very hot, 45 plus degrees. The, 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 it's just, Wendy and I have been there, and it is just almost unbearable in, the, in these hottest parts. And, and William Bartley writes that these, the rocks are there, uh, are very round, and when the sun sits, uh, sits in the evening or rises in the morning, they have the appearance of being like loaves of bread. So Jesus is very hungry, and I can see like on um, that movie Madagascar, where, where is it, the lion Alex, and he sees the zebra, and he sees the steaks. Maybe Jesus looks at these stones and sees loaves of bread. I don't know, but he's hungry. He's hungry. As a prelude to this, and I think it's very important to be like Jesus, to stand firm, is that when we confront temptations and tests like we all do, Jesus was well prepared. And any test that you go through, it's a defining moment. For the All Blacks that win the World Cup, that was their defining moment. But behind that defining moment was years and years of work, of physical training, of mental toughness training. There was a whole lot of preparation that went into that moment. And for Jesus to come into this moment of temptation, to, to stand firm, there was years and years of preparation and identification that was going into this moment for him. He wasn't just, here I am, or how am I going to handle this? There was a lot of work that he had applied in his life. And I want to just pick this up in chapter 3. We won't go there. But you know the story when he was water baptized by his cousin? What is the father? What, what, What is the sound that's heard over him? This is my son, who I'm well pleased. The first verse that the first voice that Jesus heard was the voice of his father. It wasn't the voice of the devil. That's the first voice. And so to stand rock solid, to stand firm, to be like Jesus, is to know who you are. Know who you are in Jesus and know who God says you are. I was thinking about this, Socrates said, know thyself. And it sounds very good. 
Sounds very plausible, know thyselves. But do you know what I've found? You can never know yourself unless you know God. It's found in knowing God how you know yourself. And the more you learn of him, the more you press into him, the more he reveals who you are. And I must say, in my journey with Jesus, starting as a young believer, working out my identity, how that worked, who I was, and so on and so forth, the more I've pressed into God, the more I've found that he reveals who he is, but also who I am. And it's a very securing place to be. And so we can't find it in ourselves, but we find it in knowing Jesus. And Jesus takes great delight in sharing who we are. Isn't that awesome? It is so, so good. And so Jesus comes into this temptation knowing that he's identified with Jesus, also knowing his lineage. As I said, Luke is the only gospel that gives all the lineage right back to Adam and Eve, his whakapapa. This is who I am. Wouldn't it mean the first time Jesus heard that? So he comes you know, into this position. We hear about him in the, in the temple as a 12-year-old, 18 years old. He's about 30 now. He's well prepared for this moment. And who leads him there? It's the Holy Spirit. And I want to just say, when we go through trials and tribulations, you know, often we can be fearful of them, be concerned about them, but there are opportunities for God to work us, become more and more like Jesus. And so this is a really interesting story that it starts off, Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And when you see the number 40 Instantly, our minds can go back for the people of Israel that were in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Moses led them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness. If it was a direct route, it would have been a matter of weeks. But it took 40 years as God was working through them, getting Egypt out of them to to a, a place where they were ready to go into the promised land. And so the mirror... Um, here is centuries before, here is the nation of Israel going through the wilderness. Just as the Father said over Jesus, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased, so the Father speaks over the nation of Israel in Exodus 4.22. You are my child, you are my firstborn son. In Hosea 11 verse 1, you are my child, I brought you out of Egypt. Here is God affirming who he is to the people of Israel. Here God affirms who he is to his son, Jesus. And who he is, he affirms affirms who he is to you and I. He is our father. He is for us. He is with us. And he's saying whatever challenges or difficulties you're going through, stand firm in who God says you are. It's such a critical thing. It's such an important thing. And it's a thing that can be forgotten so easily, but it's a critical thing to say, yes, I'm your son. I am your daughter. Ephesians 5.1, we are the children of God. And so Jesus comes into this place of being tempted of the devil. Once again, it's mirroring what the nation of Israel went through. They're saying in Exodus 16, they're saying to Moses and Aaron, how could you have brought us to this place? There is no food. We are starving. You've just brought us out to the desert. You've brought us out to this place to die. And Moses and Aaron say, you're not complaining against us. You're complaining against the Lord. You're complaining against him. And so the Lord miraculously supplies manna. 
And here is one of the things that when we, the challenge is to stand firm. Where the Israelites failed, Jesus stands firm. And we all fail, I know. We all have our days of, of struggling with sin and temptation. But whenever, wherever to be like Jesus, this is one thing that Jesus does. I stand firm and I never quit. Jesus never quits. Isn't that awesome? To know our Saviour, he never quits. Wendy enjoys running. She's a good runner, but she's a real pain to run with. Because when I feel like quitting, she says, you can't quit. But I want to stop and walk. You can't quit. But I feel like giving up and just having a sit on the bench there. You can't quit. You can't quit, she says to me. It's a real pain, but she's really, really right. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not going to quit. And because what the devil says to the first thing, if you are the son of God, Jesus is being confronted with the devil is really trying to attack the identity of Jesus. Jesus doesn't even answer it. He knows he is the son of God. He knows his fucker papa. He knows where he belongs. He doesn't even respond. You know, if somebody said that to me, oh, you're the son of God. I wouldn't, well, if I was thinking, I was like, yes, I am. Who do you think I, you are? Or if somebody says something like that. There's this defensiveness that responds into us. Or equally, so you call yourself a Christian and you, you've just sworn at that person. Oh, yeah, I'm not a very good Christian, am I? So these two responses, either to defend or to draw back in despair because we've been confronted in our identity. Jesus is modelling whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. Just remember whose you are. Just remember where you belong. Stands rock solid on whose you are. You are a child of God. Jesus paid the price for you. That's who you are. Isn't that good news this morning? We are the children of God. We can stand rock solid on that. Praise God for that. So Jesus gets confronted with this first temptation. Turn this bread, turn this stone into a loaf of bread or tell it. Some scriptures say turn it. I think it's really interesting about temptation or what the devil does is turn. Turn. Turn from the real thing to take the false thing. Turn to take the shortcut. Turn to take the easy route. Turn off. Just turn away. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I shared the story in the, in the 9 a.m. Um, about a vintage car that my dad was restoring. Um, he died 20 years ago. It was a family car. His father bought it brand new in 1916. And my dad was restoring it but sadly passed away before the project was completed. And between my half-brother and I, and this is a mistake, we shouldn't have done it, but the car was stored in various parts around the country for various reasons. And then my son, who's a mechanic, said, I want to restore it. And so we've been on the last probably four or five months trying to get these parts together. It's been a challenge, to say the least. And so um, we were missing a chassis, we were missing a back axle, a front axle, and body parts. You haven't got a car without a chassis and an axle and a front axle and body parts. 
And there's a guy, and there's only three of these cars we know of that have been restored in, in New Zealand. And a guy from Auckland, he's restoring one, came down and he looked at what we've got. He just shook his head and said, I don't know how you're going to do that. And there's no other cars here in New Zealand. And I thought, oh my goodness. And my hope was deflated right at that point on his report. I was being turned away from the dream of seeing this happen. And you know, God has given each and every one of us dreams, but discouragements can come along and just turn you from staying focused and turn you from keeping on track for the main thing. God has things that he wants you to fulfill and step into, and we need to be aware of the whispers of the enemy that turn us from keeping focused on what God has for us. And so I thought about this, but there was something in my spirit that God was saying, this is part of your inheritance. I have this for you, Ray. So I began to pray, Lord, help us. It's always a good prayer to pray, isn't it, when you're in trouble? Lord, help. Standing firm. If you don't know what to pray when you're in a, in a trial, Lord, help. Lord, help me. Help me, the psalmist says many times. So we began to pray. And somebody said to me, there's a guy in Gisborne you should call. I phoned him. That particular day, he happened to be in all places of Hamilton. He came round and had a look and said, you've got a challenge on your hands here. But he said, I'll put an advert in the national magazine and let's see what happens, which he did. About four weeks ago, I get a phone call from two people. And one guy leaves a message and I phone him back and he says, I, can, I think I might be able to help you. So Tom and I go down to Christchurch a couple of weekends ago on a Saturday and there is this old car in bits, but it's got a chassis, it's got a back axle, it's got a front axle, it's got body parts. And I look to the Lord and go, Lord, you're amazing. You are amazing. This is a miracle. People would say there's no car like this in New Zealand. And there it is right in front of our eyes. And I praise God because I'm glad to say we've done a deal with them and it's going to be in Hamilton in a couple of months. And I just think, and I did, I felt like this. I felt like just giving up on it, that it's too hard. We just won't do it. Just turn away. But no, praise God, stand firm. Stand firm. Isn't that good? And I want to encourage you. This is what Jesus is doing. He's standing firm. The other thing that this temptation of Jesus reveals, it reveals your conviction. If you're a person of conviction, it's going to come out when you get tested. It's going to show what's in your heart. Not because God needs to know what's in there, but it's going to reveal what's in your heart. The scripture reveals that Jesus has no issues about his identity. He knows who he belongs to. But also it reveals his conviction to the scripture. But Jesus told him, he told the devil, know the scripture. Don't you like that? No. It's a good word, isn't it? No. The scripture says, people don't live by bread alone. There was no more conversation with the devil. There was conviction in his heart. No. I feel like that sometimes when Wendy says no to me. But conviction makes a statement. Conviction is 
So important to stand firm to be like Jesus. And so I want to encourage us as we take our journey of faith is allowing the conviction of God to stand firm, to stand strong. You know, one of the the subtle temptations that happen, you read of it often, is that the real real issue for here, I think, for Jesus is not turning uh, a stone into a loaf of bread. What Jesus really recognises, this is about breaking relationship with his Father. That's the key of this. If Jesus responds to the temptation, what really has been, ref- has been fractured is his relationship with his heavenly Father. And that's what temptation does, doesn't it? When we respond to it, when we yield to it, it fractures relationships. You think of marriage relationships, when people yield to temptation. The first steps of emotional connection with somebody else, maybe in the office, maybe in the neighbourhood, a glint in the eye, there's a bit of a a spark, there's this emotional connection, this emotional unfaithfulness that fractures relationships emotionally if it goes to its full bread, the separation that it causes. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in that place, do what Jesus did. No. No. My relationship is too important to have it fractured. This is a true story. I was in church 20 years ago, a very young man, very young man. At the end of the gathering or the service, somebody or a woman came up and kissed me right on my lips. Now, I knew I was good looking. Well, well I was back then anyway, Pastor Simon. But, but the first thing, I, I mean, I was shocked I was absolutely shocked, but I went straight to Wendy and told her, staying firm, staying firm. Don't give up. That's what Jesus did. He said, I'm standing firm. I don't give up. I'm in conviction. And the other thing about being like Jesus whenever, wherever, what Jesus is showing to us, he sees the end from the beginning. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus could have taken a shortcut to glory. He could have taken a shortcut to all this power. But he said, in the kingdom of God, there's no shortcuts. And I'm not going to take them. I see the end from the beginning. And it's so important, I think, to be like Jesus is for us to be a people that are anchored in the now, in our faith, and equally see the end from the beginning. For the believer, my faith is anchored in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a fact. My faith and my trust is in His death and His resurrection. Isn't that awesome, church? That's what we believe. That's where we stand on it because of His shed blood. Our sins are forgiven. That's where our faith is anchored. Hallelujah, amen, firmly planted on that. And then in the future, don't know when, don't know when, Philippians 3.20, we eagerly await the appearance of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our expectation. And when you want to stand firm and strong, 
you're anchored in this. I'm anchored in Jesus' death and resurrection. And I'm looking forward with hope and expectation. He's coming again. Isn't that awesome news? The church that does that, the church that pushes in that way, will be strong, will rise up with conviction and won't be moved. And here's the other thing the Scripture shows us. Whatever, wherever be like Jesus is to pray and fast. Jesus has 40 days of fasting. Now, I'm not saying let's go out and do 40 days of fasting. There wouldn't be much to look at after 40 days, would there? But here is the thing. Jesus is modelling, if we want to be like him, pray and fast. Pray and fast. And so I want to really encourage you this morning, church. If, if you've got a medical issue, fine, see your GP. But if you're of good health, let's be a church that responds to this and be like Jesus I'm going to step in and pray and fast. And it's something that Wendy and I have been doing a little bit more of. It's praying and fasting. And I must say, it's been really, really good. Because here's what I've noticed. The spiritual reservoir within you increases as you fast. The activity of the Holy Spirit in you seems to go to a greater dimension and a greater dynamic. And so I want to encourage you, seriously, Miss Emile, Maybe two, maybe three. When we pray here this Tuesday, maybe consider missing a meal. Maybe consider missing an evening meal. So we come together and we're praying and fasting. Because if we want to be like Jesus, this scripture clearly identifies Jesus prayed and fasted. Isn't that awesome? You look so enthused with that comment. I want to really encourage you. Let's be people that pray and fast. And between this time now, people will say, well, what shall I pray and fast about? We're anchored firm in Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're looking forward to his coming again with eager expectation. So faith and hope are alive. In this now moment, this is what Jesus said. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. When you stand firm like Jesus with conviction, saying, I'm not giving up, I'm anchored, my faith in his death and his erection, and in the expectancy that he's returning again. I live in this now, and my purpose is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom of God. Wherever I am in my neighborhood, my workplace, my friends, I'm bringing God's love. I'm bringing his compassion. I'm bringing the spiritual authority that God wants me to bring. And what Jesus is saying, when we identify with him in this way, the Spirit leads him out of that test. He's not defeated. And this is what the Spirit wants to do with us, to lead us out of these testing times, full of power, full of authority in the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. 
And when we fall over, here's the good news. So Romans 8 verses 1 to 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. When we're in the power of the spirit, we can bring the kingdom of God wherever we are, and whatever our, um, our work situations are, our neighbourhoods and so forth. And so I want to encourage you, church, let's follow Jesus' example. Let's be like him, who stand firm, who don't give up, but bring the kingdom of God for such a time as this. And the key is, when those little calls come to turn from this, to turn from doing right, from turn from knowing what we should be doing, Go, no, I am prepared. I am carrying the conviction of God to stand. And as it says in Ephesians 6.10, having done all to stand, I stand strong. So God bless you, church. I hope that encourages you. I hope that really um, empowers you, that God's Spirit is with you, that temptation doesn't need to be feared. It's an opportunity for God's work to be done in and through us for His glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe just close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, I thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're for us. Father, I pray for every person here today that, Lord, you are an awesome God. You're a great God. Jesus, we want to say thank you for the example through the wilderness. It was something that you faced head on. It's something that you rose above the challenges and, Lord, are victorious. So, Father, I pray, help us all wherever we are. Father, I pray there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. But, Father, may we have the joy and the liberty of knowing that your Spirit is leading us and guiding us, Lord, making us more and more like Jesus.